Hi everyone, this is episode seven and today we have our second guest on the podcast, Steve Casey from Square Health. Hi Steve. Hi Steve. Hi everybody. So how are we all doing in these uh, strange, unprecedented, uh, etc.? Yeah, we're, we're doing very well. Thanks very much indeed. I mean, um, uh, all four of us are, are at home, uh, two girls uh, and my wife uh, and, and myself. Um, yes, I must say that um, I'm beginning to get fed up looking at the, uh, the same four walls, if I'm brutally honest. But uh, I'm sure that uh, you guys are experiencing those same sorts of thoughts. Yep, yep, definitely. I had to have a little bit of an escape yesterday. And I say somebody with prior agoraphobia, the lockdown is kind of heaven, um, which you know, <laughs> could sound bizarre to a lot of people. But for me, it's quite like, oh, I like this. Um, but uh, my eight-year-old has been having issues with his ear for a few months now. And I rang the doctors. We've had done a few things over the phone and everything, antibiotics. And they're like, well, we really need to see him. And I was like, well, I don't really want to waste your you know, this precious sort of like safety, you know, this PPE stuff and everything. They're like, it's not a waste, come down. We went and they've set up a gazebo in a local bus station <laughs> next to the surgery. So we drove into this gazebo and pulled up and my son was okay. And then they came out obviously fully geared up and you could barely see them. And it was kind of like, you know, that kind of imagery you get from like a TV show or something where they're suddenly coming out and all this equipment. And he just looked at me and he just told me he was scared and my heart just absolutely went. So I was like stroking his back and everything. I'm just like, it was okay, it's okay. And then I did the thing of actually popping into Tesco. And it's the first time I've actually, by going on a bike ride, um, it's the first time I've been away from the house in a month. And um, and I went in and got milk and cheese and croissants and I was so proud of myself. And then I got to the till. And discovered that I didn't have my purse because I've not been outside the house for a month. And um, I knew exactly where I was at home. And I was just doing that thing of like, I'm so sorry. And they're like, it's all right, Mum. Happens to the best of us. Just go home. Just come back. And I was like, oh. So then I got back, had to EQ. Um, but they were lovely. But um, Andrew, have you had um, any fun moments? Not, nothing as dramatic as that. No. <laughs> yeah. I'm probably closer to Steve than Stone at the Four Walls. Um, I, I, I have done the. Yeah, the suddenly it feels like a big heroic activity going for a shop, as you say, which is I think always in life. It, <laughs> but when when you have lots of things and are very busy, then uh, funnily enough, that's not worth talking about, is it? I'm sure we'll look back on this in two years and go, how, what on earth was happening? <laughs> but, but yeah, the reality is, is my my trip to Tesco's now take on a an unusually exciting uh, time. But but no, we're, we're all okay. We're all healthy. Um, so yeah, we're we're doing fine, thank you. I kind of feel like it's a Black Mirror episode. I've been saying that since the beginning. It mm. just feels like really, really strange. But anyway, so everybody who listened last time will know that we had a Truth or Life feature back. And um, last week I said that I have been in pyjamas since the start of lockdown. And Andrew said that he had run a half marathon since lockdown. So we want to know, who do you believe, Steve? Who do you think? Um, I, I, I listened again, actually, to the to the podcast last time, and um, I would say I would have to say I think Andrew is true, and and Catherine, yours is a lie, just really because um, I just cannot see you in pajamas all all during the day, uh, setting a bad example for your boys. <laughs> that makes <laughs> not, me not because you think I'm incredibly fit, um, <laughs> and that makes me feel terribly bad for spending about ninety percent of my time in pajamas <laughs> since lockdown. <laughs> 
Yeah, I've, I've literally, Alan sent like a thingy out to everyone at work on the Zoom meeting saying, right, everybody, let's get yourselves into the spirit. You know, do still get dressed for work, even though you're at home. And I just keep coming on on the Zoom videos like, I'm still in pajamas, guys. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yes, I know. I, I am lying. Um, I have been in pajamas most of the time, but I have changed into joggers at one point. And the last two days I've worn denims. So making sure they still fit. That's good. They are stretchy ones, but they still fit. So it all counts. It's fine. Okay, then. <laughs> Yeah, and my ex my relative excuse for doing because I can't do a, a half marathon in an hour, but I'd managed to stay halfway th through winter by training for a half marathon that was cancelled because of Storm Kiara mm -hmm. back when that was a stressful thing in our lives. Um, so that was what February, and then rebooked to do the Colchester half marathon at the end of March, which was kind of the first weekend that events got cancelled. So I did go out and do a about as small a circumference from my house um, as I could um, a couple of weekends ago um, and felt very, very good for it, um, if only because for the next two or three days I, I didn't want to go out. Mm. Um, but yes, so well done, Steve, and, and anyone else who, who got that. I'm not a very good liar. This is getting to me now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, Moving on then, Steve, I know at the risk of sounding kind of cliquey, I guess a lot of people listening to this will know you from one guise or another, but it'd be really good if you could just kind of start start from the beginning and, and kind of do the overview for those of you, for those people listening who are unfortunate enough not to have come across you so far. Uh, <laughs> so thank, give you that, give you that intro. All right, thanks, Andrew. Uh, well, a little bit about myself. Um, well, first and foremost, I, I qualify for the guaranteed over 50 plans. Hey. <laughs> uh, 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 I'm um, married to Anne with two daughters, uh, Charlie, who was supposed to take her A-levels, and Sophie, who was supposed to do her GCSEs this year. So. Uh, uh, we've had that to contend with. Um, we live in uh, Cheltenham. Um, other than a couple of years in the wholesale fishing, tackle and bait industry, I've um, I spent my career in financial services. Um, and, and sort of looking back, I've been lucky in many regards in that each time I've had a career move, I've actually moved a little closer to the customer from my uh, sort of heady days as a reinsurer. Um, I initially trained as an underwriter. Um, although moved into marketing and account development when the claims started coming I didn't in, know that. I didn't and know uh, oh yes, oh yes, and um, again looking at the CV, old Roy McLaughlin likes to take the Mickey because there does appear to be several companies on there, and it looks as though I've actually moved around a lot. Um, but I would actually argue the other way because um, three of the organisations that I have worked for, Mercantile and General, Booper Health Assurance, and Aegeus of Protect, have actually been uh, acquired. Um, whilst I've been working for those organisations by Swiss Re, the Friends Life and AIG Life respectively. So I could perhaps leave you guys to decide whether they were due to distressed sales or whether they actually were acquiring <laughs> local, uh, local knowledge and expertise. <laughs> We're far too polite to comment, Steve. <laughs> Although I can confirm, having worked at Swissery about 20 years after you, you definitely had made some underwriting decisions. <laughs> oh, this isn't fair. I feel like there's some inside jokes now. That yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the gang. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't fair. <laughs> I'm on the other side. I'm fully on the other side. So, Steve, obviously, we, we've sort of like asked you to come on because there's something that happened. Obviously, I think it was a couple of years ago now um, that is incredibly important for people to know about and to talk about. And obviously, you are 
the perfect person to talk about this. Did you mind sharing some of your experiences with us, please? Yeah, sure, sure. De delighted to. Um, yes, the 22nd of February 2018 um, is, the, is the date and, and the, basically the, the God's decree that have given me the opportunity to uh, undertake some really personal market research into our claims industry. <laughs> um, two days before my 54th birthday, um, I suffered a stroke. Um, it was absolutely a, a bolt out of the blue, no risk factors, no warning signs. Um, I just returned uh, from skiing in France with, with our oldest daughter, Charlie, and a few hours earlier, I had dinner with, uh, with the family and just literally settled down to watch TV when suddenly, bang, the whole room went into one sort of massive kaleidoscope. Um, it was, uh, you know, absolutely you know, worrying. Uh, I, I was scared in many regards. Um, I actually started undertaking the, uh, the FAST protocol my, myself, so the face, the arm weakness, speech, and, and obviously the, uh, I was worried about the time. So, um, so I, I called my wife and uh, before you know it, I was uh, uh, in the ambulance uh, all the way across the hospital. And so, so the, with the, sorry, you know, you said the FAST test, so just for anybody who doesn't know that. Um, so the FAST test is something that the Stroke Association obviously promotes, and it's to the, the main signs of the stroke. So it's the facial weakness, it's the arm weakness. Can you not raise both your arms above your head and keep them up there for some time and for your speech to get slurred? So did you experience all of those different things? Um, I, I was I was lucky in regard because um, uh, the only thing that I really experienced was actually the speech where whilst I wasn't slurring, um, I was speaking very slowly and trying to communicate with uh, with, with my wife and then, then then the sort of paramedics and the ambulance. Um, so uh, uh, I didn't have any sort of uh, arm weakness or, or, or facial dropping in that, but it was just the speech. Okay. And you said that the room had become a kaleidoscope as well, so your vision had changed. Was it, was it literally like a kaleidoscope or is it gone? It was. It was literally like a kaleidoscope. You could look at certain aspects and, and things was almost uh, zooming in and out of focus. Um, I mean, I was actually watching TV. It was the, it was the Winter Olympics and um, I, you know, I could see it. And then I couldn't. Um, it was really, really bizarre feeling. Okay. And can you, as Catherine turns into a telly underwriter, it's fascinating to me how well you can recall it and the bits mm. you can recall, I guess, as a, you know, again, from an underwriting or a practical perspective, um, you, almost, I, I presume you, you can recall all the events very clearly, or, or are there bits that you, you've you've forgotten or or that that you i don't know yeah um, um I, I i it's still pretty vivid in, in my mind yeah. i mean there are certain aspects where you you sort of um lose uh, maybe an, an hour of time so i can i can remember going into the initially the a and e um and then uh, the next thing i can remember is actually being uh, up in the uh, in the stroke ward hmm. um so there's, there's certain aspects, but I, I can still remember talking to, to the paramedics. Um, uh, they were fantastic. I mean, the time element, I was so lucky in terms of um, a, a paramed turned up in, in, in less than five minutes. Um, um, they just happened to be almost around the corner. Um, so that was fantastic. Um, I remember them putting the cannula in, etc. whilst they called the ambulance. I, I, I remember the, the, the getting into the ambulance. I suppose thinking about it, I don't really remember the journey actually in the ambulance. Uh, because whilst living in Cheltenham, um, Gloucester Royal Infirmary, which is about eight miles away, has a specialist stroke ward, and that's where they, um, 
they initially did the diagnosis and they took me there to confirm that. So uh, I don't remember that journey, but uh, yeah, it's still pretty vivid, I have to say. And then the, um, in the days and weeks after that, Steve, um, uh, how, what, what happened next? Well, um, I, I mean, I spent a week in, in the hospital. Um, um, so uh, a week's in hospital. Once I recovered uh, from the initial seven days of the hospital food, um, which is itself. absolutely you can merit a critical illness claim you yeah. like that I believe <laughs> um, I sort of I sort of got home and um, uh, uh, you know I, I knew that um, I had a minimum of a month uh, off work because uh, living in Cheltenham although I'm based at, in Windsor for Square Health um, I couldn't drive for a month that was an absolute prerequisite um, so I knew I was going to have spending some time at home um, so uh, I have to say the, again, the, um, the uh, early stroke team um, who, who visit you post-stroke, et cetera, they were fantastic. And um, let's be very clear, guys. I dodged a, book, a bullet. I was very, very lucky indeed. And it was, I was doing my exercises. Um, I was doing all the tests, et cetera. That was all going very, very well. Um, uh, using the Wii, the Wii was a great thing because they got balance. Yes, games. of course. And, I was, and I, was, I was using that to practice. And I must say, to start off with, I was pretty rubbish, <laughs> I have to say. Wrigley <laughs> uh, getting beaten by the kids and um, uh, trying to do the, uh, the ski jumping. Oh. Uh, that was hilarious as well. <laughs> I know exactly which one you mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but us, using those types of things, um, you know, I, very quickly I was able to score, I remember this, 38 out of 39 in all the tests. So um, I was I was lucky enough to um, to recover very very quickly um, uh, from from that regard and and that you know a lot of that goes down to the support I did receive. I was going to say your recovery has been phenomenal. It's like last year we did a, a virtual an online virtual um, exercise thing, didn't we? Where it was from was it Brighton to Brompton for a cystic fibrosis charity, and um, and you provided the most miles out of everybody on that. So it was just like <laughs> my sister, she did it as well, and obviously she, she's not aware of you in a sense. You know, she's she's based in Italy, so and everything, and uh, she was just like, "Hey, Steve, he's managed to get. I think it was over fifty odd miles or something." I was like, "Yeah," I was like, and she was like, "She goes, I've only managed to do ten on my bike." I was like, "I'll make you feel worse." I was like, "He had a stroke last year," and she just went, "Oh, <laughs> oh, thanks." <laughs> you know, it really is incredible. Well, that, that, that- that was good because that that that, that time that uh, that challenge at the time was fantastic because uh, a friend of mine who's um, uh, a cancer survivor, um, uh, him and I were training for the London Prudential Hundred Mile Bike Ride, so th- that became part of our training. So uh, I'm not sure I would have done it normally, but anyway, <laughs> no, I, I definitely couldn't have done it. So it's absolute hats off to you. <laughs> I thought it was incredible. <laughs> and did you get obviously? So go on, Andrew. Yeah, no, it's really, it's always struck me since we first spoke after it, Steve, that how often you use the word lucky about what happened or how it happened to you. And, and I think that that mentality is so revealing and, and differs so much and, and, and isn't something that we ever take into account in underwriting, whether that's for, you know, predicting recovery or anything like that, or for looking at income protection, not just for stroke, but for other things. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a great mindset to have. Right, and and I, I I don't know if you'd have known you'd have had that before. I guess I'd have always thought of you as a positive person, um, but but I think it must have been a big part of your recovery to just have that, you know, to, to you throughout. 
Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, um, you know, you, you go through all the emotions, you yeah. know, could I have done something different? You know, uh, did I bang my head skiing the previous the weekend? And I hadn't. Um, I, I wear a helmet, etc. Um, why me, etc. But what's going to happen? But um, uh, I think the overriding thing as much as anything was, um, okay, it's happened. Um, uh, I'd like to find out why it's happened, um, etc. But um, uh, the reality of it is, is like, right, okay, well, I'm not going to let it beat me. Mm. Um, uh, and um, I'm, I'm lucky in regards, I've got very, um, uh, very minimal uh, permanent symptoms left. I mean, most people wouldn't know. Um, the biggest one being is that um, when I uh, get into the shower, I always have to get into the left-hand side to test the temperature of the water because I can't really feel that on the right-hand side oh. of uh, my arm and my body, etc. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, um, and if that's the worst thing I've got to do, then again, I'm lucky. Yeah. That's, yeah. So it's so lovely to say it's just that positivity and you can see as other people can't see, but I can see on the video and you can just see the positivity <laughs> and, and generally that, that gratitude that you kind of have that it, it wasn't worse. Um, so obviously we're in the insurance world and everything and do you have then obviously you are within a company that offers like a lot of help and support to people have you found that in your experience after having had the stroke did you find that you had lots of support there from within our industry and um and or, or did you not have anything what what kind of what's your experience of that well, um, there's, there's two things really around that, Catherine. One is the obviously the, the claiming experience, which I'm sure we'll talk about uh, shortly. But um, uh, as I said, I, I wanted to understand why it happened. Um, and, um, you know, I've been a very big proponent of, um, uh, of uh, second medical opinions um, ever since I joined Booper Health Assurance when I first came across it. Um, uh, and I'm thinking, you know, uh, you, you've given me this diagnosis of, of, of a stroke, etc. I've got the hospital discharge, it's all there, etc. But it doesn't actually tell me why, um, why it occurred. So I was very keen to understand um, uh, why um, uh, it occurred. So I undertook a second medical opinion. And actually, um, I, I eventually went from um, a, a neurologist, who was obviously uh, looking very much at... Uh, at the brain and the stroke, et cetera. But I was actually put in touch with a cardiac arrhythmia specialist. Um, and um, is actually that um, is a, a slight heart arrhythmia that I have, which um, is pre-atrial fibrillation and all that type of yeah. stuff. Um, but uh, they think that's the reason why the, um, uh, the stroke occurred. And as a consequence, um, my treatment protocol was changed um, and uh, I, I, I now take a, a drug to uh, to help protect against that arrhythmia. So, um, so absolutely, the, that second opinion was absolutely vital. And that, it was a second opinion that led to that thing of, of you knowing more to do, it was to do with your heart rather than anything to do with your mind. Absolutely, yes. That's incredible to know yes. now that you've got that medication to prevent that as well. So what's, what was the claims experience then for you like with it all? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a good laugh or a bad laugh. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to the transcript of that laugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, you know, um, I, as part of my uh, sort of uh, rehabilitation, I dusted off the old policy documents um, and um, we had a couple of uh, uh, critical illness policies on, on, on my life and um, we, put, we put the claims in. Um, and uh, these were uh, old policies. Um, one was in 1993 when it was first taken out. 
uh, and I've, I've, I've got to thank uh, a, a guy in particular called Andy Fox, who, uh, who came back from a client company when we were reinsurers and said, um, you guys have got to take out this policy, and we all did, um, which, was, which, was, uh, which was great. Uh, and the second one was in 2001. So, um, you know, the, they were old policies. Um, uh, Andrew, you can explain about uh, sort of selection periods and all that good stuff. But I mean, those policies have been in force a long time. And I, I put two, uh, two uh, claims in with those companies. And hopefully everything went smoothly. Hopefully. Um, chalk and cheese. <laughs> chalk and cheese. <laughs> So one thing I hadn't realized, and I, you know, perhaps I, I shouldn't have realized, is that um, uh, I didn't appreciate that everybody's basically given a discharge summary when you, when you leave hospital, yeah. uh, outlining everything that has occurred, et cetera, and uh, what, um, uh, you know, what, uh, what's going to appear on your medical records. Um, so um, I, uh, I basically made contact with provider yeah. one, um, gave them a call, absolutely greeted with empathy and support. Um, but then the individual explained that the claims documentation would be sent by a post, uh, but it would take five to 10 working days for this to occur because the customer service team had a backlog. Ah, wonderful. Um, um, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, but, but I mean, when these forms did arrive, there was, a, in my view, an onerous pile of documents. Yeah. Um, a poorly formatted uh, word claims form a pro forma that I had to take to my GP for completion, consent to undergo a medical exam if required, a request for a paper bank statement. I mean, that was just a, a few of the things that came along. That, that doesn't even seem to make sense. Uh, I can't even understand why that would even be relevant. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, um, you know, it was just sort of like when, when you're as a claimant, you should be focusing on the rehabilitation. Yeah. Um, you know, the process of preparing all this information is, is no small undertaking, really. Um, and I returned the paperwork in the same day, uh, opting to, to actually put a copy of the discharge summary in lieu of the GP report, as I felt it contained the relevant information. And um, I have to say, I, I've got a bit of inside track here. My wife is a, a claims assistant. Uh -huh. <laughs> so it, it does help. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, I sent it all back. Um, but then... Um, I received no acknowledgement or update and it was me contacting them uh, over three weeks later to see how the claim was progressing. That I was told that the claim had been approved the day before, but that it would take a further two or three weeks for the payment to be processed. Yeah. Um, and I finally received a letter about 18 days later to state the money had been transferred to my bank account. Um, which you, don't get me wrong. I don't wish to appear ungrateful. The claim was paid in a relatively short period of time. Um, although the process was somewhat cumbersome, um, but um, you know, I, uh, you know, perhaps I would have accepted that if I'd just um, uh, just had the one policy. But my experience of the second one was was remarkably different. I'm assuming better. A absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, it was so radically different. I could uh, I could hardly believe that it was the same process. Um, I mean, again, upon notification of the claim. Um, they collated all the information via a tele-interview, okay. uh, meaning that it could really tailor the questions to the actual circumstances of the claim um, uh, and have all this information documented on file at the time of the notification. Um, as a result, I think, yeah, the claims process for them actually started on day one when I actually uh, uh, called them up. Um, 
They had to be encouraged to uh, send any medical reports they have, saving time, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so I was able to take a photo of the, of the document, of the uh, discharge summary on my phone, email it to them. Um, and then two days later, um, I get a request saying whether I want the money paid. I mean, that's brilliant. And I think a big thing from that as well comes from the fact that, you know, where you've said, you know, you've been left with relatively minor lasting symptoms. And obviously you have your wife there as well who can help. But what about someone who's had a stroke who's been left with very marked symptoms, who probably even more so is very, very much needing that money as quickly as possible so that they can adapt. They maybe are on their own. They maybe don't have anybody there to help them. And they're faced with these documents that they may not physically be able to complete. They may not physically be able to speak over the telephone. And, um, and obviously, as you're saying, in some ways, I appreciate what you're saying there sometimes about you saying how, how you feel quite lucky in a sense. You, you were quite lucky, especially in that claims regard, that you could do all of that and follow all that step. But not everybody would be in the same position as yourself where they would be able to to actually physically go and possibly emotionally go through all that on top of going through the rehabilitation and everything, which could be quite extensive for some people. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, when you when you look at the, uh, the the guys in the in the stroke ward, I mean, there was uh, eight beds. Um, they were they were constantly full. Um, I mean, when I was discharged, I was told I could be discharged, and and basically in the nurse's spot all the way, I was turfed out the bed. To wait in the day room because the bed was required for somebody else. Um, but but some of the poor souls in the, in that ward, I mean, they had very severe symptoms, and uh, rehabilitation would take a long, long time for them. Mm. It's amazing how when you have an experience, or you or someone in your family does, you suddenly become aware of some of those bits in the process, the discharge letter or whatever that you, frankly, as a as a reinsurer insurer, you you don't always know exists, right? Which I guess. Not that we need to be generous to the first company, but it feels like they haven't taken the time to understand those different bits of evidence over and above the obvious things like tele-interviewing rather than sending a form. Mm -hmm. But where there are those bits, I think I think that's something that where there is big difference between insurers and, and the, the medical officers or where they look, you know, other, other than waiting for something bad to have someone in, the, you know, to, to happen to someone in their team and then learning from that to be more proactive about it by working with charities, by working with others. I know Macmillan Cancer have done quite a lot of stuff with Aviva and, and others, um, mm -hmm. I think uh, Lloyd's Banking Group in terms of getting their nurses involved in the claims piece. Um, yeah. But but that is, you know, one condition and, and there are undoubtedly for less frequent conditions than stroke and cancer, I'm sure there are bits in that process which could just, yeah, take weeks and months of claims journeys um which as we all are so again what we're recording this four weeks into covid you know a time where lots of people are now without income and that kind of thing and i think just you know it really does make you realize that that so many people don't have three months or six months savings and and in in, in your situation steve's there where you can't drive you know in the best case scenario or in a pretty good case scenario where you suddenly can't drive for a month recovering um, you can see why, yeah, every day, every week matters in that process, as well as the common courtesies of keeping you informed with stuff, which is, yeah, just basic. Yeah, <laughs> basic. very much so. Yeah, remembering as a human there. And have you, um, Steve, since, have you have you needed to or tried to go for any insurances again, or are you quite, have you been okay with everything? Um, uh, 
It, that's a really uh, good question. Um, uh, obviously, um, uh, Square Health we're, we're, we're covered by uh, group arrangements, which is which is which is fantastic. Um, we still have the uh, uh, some of the, the life covers in force, so that they they will uh, be maintained. Um, and despite what I said, I haven't purchased a guaranteed over fifty product yet. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I, I haven't actually uh, myself um, uh, uh, gone to take insurance, but I, I have helped one or two people and pointed them in the directions of people like yourselves um, in, in terms of uh, uh, who've had uh, friends who've had conditions, the guy I cycle with who's a, who's a cancer yeah. a survivor. Uh, etc so uh, not myself okay. now well what i think um probably do now is just have a little chat about some case studies just to give some advisors some examples of what we often do to sort of say to mike this is what could potentially be available um and then um chat you give you a chance to chat a bit more about square health and what it is that you're doing especially now in the whole pandemic and that they're facing so just a couple of case studies to go through then so the first one i've got um, is a male who was in his late 20s and he's had a minor stroke about a year and a half prior to chatting to us. Um, he'd had a bleed on a brain during a half marathon and they found no underlying cause. Obviously, if he'd maybe had second medical opinions, <laughs> Steve, they may have found an underlying cause, but from what everything was <laughs> tested so far, there was no underlying cause. He'd had 10 days in hospital and had to have a further week off work. He'd been on medication for a year and had to have annual reviews. So what he had is we managed to get him the life insurance and it was a uh, what they call plus 250% on the premium. So for anybody who's listening, that means you take the base premium and you times it by 3.5. Now, I know when we said this before, I've not given examples of what the actual premium becomes. And I think some people maybe wonder what that could be. So for this person, um, we were getting him decreasing life insurance of £137,000 over 35 years. And with the premium loading included, that came to £15 per month. So I think the premium is actually probably less than what people generally think if you're saying, well, actually, we're going to you know, increase it by this 100%. Um, the next example I have was a male who was in his... Sorry, okay. Catherine, just on that first one. Um, so I guess to me, I mean, first and foremost, as a human, the response to that premium is still, wow. Right, and, and I appreciate that's not the technical underwriting I hope that's a answer. Good wow. Is that a good wow? Yeah, know. no, no, it's a good wow. <laughs> I, I think honestly, and I think I think then bleed sort of uh, sort of merging back into an underwriting world. It's interesting because underwriters will normally just the last thing they see will be that rating rather than the premium, yeah. um, and are quite blind to that. But I think it really does emphasise that you know almost even in even in advice or manuals that. If we if we see plus two fifty, we think it's probably quite unlikely that someone would take up that offer because it would be so much more expensive, um, and and kind of the stats prove that. But especially at younger ages, obviously life insurance is normally cheaper. And if you say you know if if in reality there you're saying you're paying a tenner extra a month, then I think you know that feels a very a very compelling offer, frankly, yeah. to someone who's had that scare. On, in terms of what's gone into that underwriting decision, and I think we touched on it in some of Steve's stuff, this, this what's the cause is, is obviously, you know, when you're looking at the underwriting factors, the, the time since stroke is important, obviously the number of strokes, but, but there are so many different reasons that strokes happen um, and so many different types of stroke that all of those factors do go into that, that rating. But clearly you have, you know, ultimately you have good cases and bad cases and, and where you have a, a good case and no other risk factors, et cetera, then, then we are able to do some, some instinctively impressive things, I think, around stroke. Yeah. I think as well, you know, there's don't, 
I think it's, it's not necessarily the the standard approach, but don't necessarily rule out critical illness cover as well. You know, there are options sometimes with critical illness cover. So um, it, it is always worthwhile just having a look at each case individually and not never make an assumption when you're looking at things. Um, the next person um, that I was speaking to, again, was a male, and this time he was in his mid-20s. He'd been a bit younger, and he'd fractured and dislocated his spine two years prior to speaking to us. And um, he'd done that abroad and had suffered a full stroke during the operation. I believe he'd had to have a metal plate fitted possibly in his brain as well during whilst it had all gone on. And he'd actually been left with partial vision loss, vision, sorry, vision loss. Um, so he could see straight and left, but he couldn't see right at all because part of his brain had died where the visual um, fields and connections are all based. So we got a plus 300% on that premium. So again, that means that uh, the premium, base premium was times by four. So for this gentleman, we're looking at the level life insurance of £150,000 over 35 years, and the premium was £27 per month. Now, again, I hope that's maybe another wow factor, um, but it comes down to, again, that you, you, you're looking at that when you're thinking, right, okay, this person's had a full stroke. They're actually left with quite marked, you know, symptoms. Um, you know, there's sort of like quite a lot of loss of vision. And if you hear that thing of part of the brain has died, I think a lot of people would think, ooh, not so you know not so sure about what's going to happen with this one but relatively again 27 pounds per month it's not it's not sort of unfeasible the premium it seems like quite i think quite a nice premium but i think another thing to point out as well is that there isn't always percentage increases so say like if somebody's had a stroke because they've had a traumatic brain injury um depending upon the circumstances of it obviously in the time since and also if the stroke has been caused by the mini pill then that can sometimes be that there isn't a percentage loading put on and that sometimes standard terms can be um, arranged. So um, so there's, there's lots and lots of different intricacies and things to look at with these things. And I, I say, I, just, I think it's always best to not take things at sort of like face value when you're given that information from a client. Yeah, and I think um, genuinely, obviously, we, we really wanted to get Steve on to, to get the personal side of it and to hear for us both for selfishly yeah, <laughs> to get that, that, those extra insights. But I mean, yeah, to go through every different um, every different angle on this probably is a separate episode on its own at some point in the future. Um, but as you say, in simple terms, you do kind of have the 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 harsher ratings are going to be where it appears that the stroke's been triggered by lifestyle factors or comorbidities or other things which were there before and are still there after. And I think you know that. That seems, well, that is both fair and common sense, really. Whereas if there's a trauma or, or as you say, something that's been prompted by, whether it's an operation or medication, then clearly um, if you take that away, then, then the prognosis is much better. So, yeah, it's definitely a condition. Um, I, think, I, I think, in fairness, that the, the medical tool that strips in my mind is actually on, on heart attacks and myocardial infarctions where you, know, you have the cardiologist saying, really you should be thinking of this in the same way as you think of cancer there are 30 different types and, and that's how you need to underwrite and it's exactly the same for stroke you know we, we we need to talk about stroke because that's what people hear um but we need to actually underwrite and and take risk decisions based on that much more detailed level while then still kind of repeating it back to the customer in a language they understand Absolutely. So Steve, do you want to tell us about Square Health and what it is that you do there, what it is that Square Health does and what's happening now with the current and pandemic? I know you've been making some some huge steps recently to continue to support people. 
Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I joined Square Health in uh, August uh, 16 as uh, as the marketing director, and, and we're really a health technology provider uh, that operates in, in several markets. Um, within the protection sector, we're probably best known for the provision of doctor and nurse screenings uh, for the underwriting process. Um, but as you can imagine, at this moment in time, that's uh, that that is uh, basically gone down to zero. Um, but we've got we've come up with a solution which I'll talk about in a, in a minute. But also, what we do is we provide a range of medical services such as remote GP consultations, uh, digital physiotherapy and uh, mental health support, second medical opinions, uh, health MOTs, etc. And we provide that to the customer by um, uh, the provision of that technology, whether it's iOS or Android. So. Um, a bit like um, you, you take out a policy with a certain company, maybe uh, LV or the Exeter, etc. You will have access to uh, a range of services that uh, they effectively ask us to provide. So you download the, the app, you authenticate, and then you have access. And it really is as simple um, as booking uh, a consultation as it is maybe putting in a, a meeting in your, your Outlook calendar, uh, or something like that. Um, we're not... A financial services company we're uh, a medical company so we're not regulated and, and we don't have uh, uh, the fun with the uh, the FCA um, but uh, we are actually regulated by something known as the uh, Care Quality Commission uh, CQC um, and this is an independent body that um, uh, looks at the primary care i.e. the, the GP services um, uh, so we have to be effectively uh, uh, authorised by them and audited as well. Um, so they do audit us on a regular basis. In fact, if you go on the um, CQC website, which I think is cqc.org.uk, you can put in your own GP practice and you can see what their latest audit reports are, which sometimes is quite okay. interesting, I have to say. Nice. Um, for this. So, yes, yeah, so we <laughs> <laughs> So we, uh, yes, yeah, so uh, we're all to do there and we're very pleased uh, because our last audit report was very, very positive indeed. Um, but the thing that we're really proud about, which um, uh, is a testament really to the guys back at the ranch, Joe Saunders and the team, is that um, we were noted as outstanding with regard to uh, patient safety. So we're very, very, very good at that. But going back to the screenings, um, yes, obviously with the, uh, the COVID uh, government uh, uh, directions and restrictions, etc. Medical screenings, whether it's by a nurse or a doctor in, in your own home or at work, are basically finished. Um, so we've come up with a solution um, which, let's be honest, it's not a direct replacement for a physical screening, but I think it goes some way and helps people. Um, uh, maybe part of the 15% that you, uh, you outlined uh, last yeah. uh, podcast, Catherine. Um, whereby we will send them um, a, a test kit, a self-administered blood test kit, um, which they will receive. We then ask them to contact us to make a video uh, screening consultation, whereby one of our nurse or doctors will actually go through uh, asking specific questions uh, relating to them or maybe their condition. At the same time, we ask them to take the, uh, the blood themselves, which is a, a pin prick and um, a good squeeze shall we say, in, into the pot. And then that pot is actually uh, sent in a, a self-stamped address envelope, sorry, to the lab for the various blood tests. We then marry the two up and then we provide that as, um, uh, as, as a screening report to, to the relevant provider. So we, uh, we're trying to pilot this at the moment. We, uh, in other parts of our business, non-life insurance related, um, uh, the virtual screenings are, are going very well. 
um, and we're just now in the in the forefront of uh, of doing that in the in the life and health sector. And just it's probably worth just um, talking about the kind of people who apply for life insurance who we ask for those test sums, Steve. So I guess I guess in short, it's either people who are applying for very large sum assureds in non COVID times or non coronavirus times. Um, it would be either people who are applying for large sums assured, whether that's life critical illness or income protection, or where there's a specific medical condition where either they don't know their latest results or, or they don't have their latest results. So let's say for diabetes or for high blood pressure. Um, I think in the UK, unlike in other countries, we, we tend to go to the GP first because in theory, the medical records through the NHS are very, very good. Um, in other countries, there'd be far more kind of reliance on blood tests and screenings and things like that. Um, but for a, you know, as we as we've discussed, and we kind of can throw numbers around and percentages, but it, it's always worth remembering that every what in the UK, every ten percent of the insurance population is one hundred and fifty thousand people a year. Um, so the numbers add up very quickly. Um, but in the UK, yeah, there, there, there's still those people who insurers don't can't offer cover to or don't offer cover to without some of this so i think that's why it's so good that square health are doing it and impressive that insurers seem to be um taking it up now and 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 trying to to work with as you say what's you know not a perfect solution but but gets you most of the information that you'd have otherwise uh, that's absolutely right, uh, Andrew. Um, I mean, we're working with uh, four partners at the moment on the, on the, on the pilot basis. Um, yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. We have uh, some slight reservations, you know, the blood going via the, the postal system. Um, yeah. uh, will, that, uh, will that take longer than normal and therefore hemolyze and not be uh, any good? We, we just don't know yet. But, um, you know, as I said, let's let's get there fast. Let's try it. Let's pilot it. If we need to uh, change things slightly, then we can uh, we can do so. But I mean, for anybody who requires that insurance coverage, maybe it's cost them a cover a mortgage or what have you. Let's let's see see how quickly we can get them through the process. I think um, just say as well the um, doctor services. I know from personal experience that they're brilliant. A couple of years ago, we were in Malta, and my my eldest was who was six at that time wasn't. There was nothing sort of majorly going on, but something just wasn't right. And what was perfect is that, you know, we, we sort of like logged onto the system and then it was the next morning at 10 o'clock, you know, we're there in the sunshine in our bikinis doing a video conversation with a GP in the UK. Absolutely brilliant. And, you know, what was fantastic of that as well is that, you know, they could then, he could look at the GP, chat away to them. We could show the areas where we had a bit of concern. And it was just fantastic to be able to have that rather than thinking, especially being a boss, I thinking, oh, if I go to a local pharmacy, are they going to understand me? Am I going to be able to translate properly what I need to get across to them? Um, and it, it just, it, it really provided some comfort to be able to speak to somebody in your own language that you knew that they were really there and you could just chat exactly like you needed to. It was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, a lot of our consultations are in many regards reassurance. Um, Unfortunately, you know, the, the, you know, in the UK at the moment, it's you know, pre-COVID days, I should say, an average of 13 days to see your own GP. Um, that's, that's quick. And, and whereby... That's quick for me. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas, you know, you, you know, you had 10 o'clock the following yeah. morning. Um, and it is, it, you know, it is fantastic. Um, some of the providers we work with have now actually gone 24-7. Yes. Um, so uh, so that's, that's, that's great news as well. 
Um, and just looking at the MI uh, for the month of March, comparing it to, to February with the, we, we provide our clients. I mean, as you would expect, we have seen a massive spike in the number of uh, remote GP consultations that we've undertaken. Circa about 20% of them were uh, COVID related. So we had to follow the, the government uh, guidelines and protocols about uh, 111 and, and what have you, which we did, but 80% weren't. So there were non-COVID related issues that people had concerns about that perhaps they weren't able to get to see or talk to their GP for some time that we were able to help with them and perhaps um, just, you know, release the pressure a wee bit on the uh, on the system which is it's fantastic and absolutely brilliant especially at the current time so so we're coming towards the end of the podcast now so we're going to have our first guest truth our life feature which is going to be brilliant um so i will start it off um so everybody if you if you're not familiar with this one of us is telling a lie and you have to figure out who and we've established that i'm a terrible liar so that's just a bit of a hint there so um mine is that um during the lockdown i have taken up playing the flute so mine is during the lockdown i have taken up unicycling and mine is i have not met kevin keegan whilst playing football against him mm, let's we'll leave you all there to fester with that for a couple of weeks then so thank you very much for coming on steve it's been an absolute pleasure having you and um to everybody listening we really hope that you found this useful and if you do have any questions at all or want to discuss anything please do send us a message yeah thank thanks, you guys yeah thanks everyone well um We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but um, uh, and I think we've got another guest there. We we're, we're on a we're, we're on a good run <laughs> uh, with a similar real life experience uh, that that kind of brings again, hopefully, brings this through to life. So we'd really appreciate any feedback you've got, and um, yeah, look forward to speaking to you all soon. Take care. Take care. Thank you, Steve. Bye. Bye.